So let's go ahead and uh, stand and read the word of God together. We're going to be Colossians 1, 21 through 23. We're reading in the Christian Standard Bible. Y'all know how we do. Let's go ahead and read. One, two, three. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Amen. Amen. Spiritual tattoo for this for today is God is passionate about refining and rooting our hope in the gospel. Father, as we, as we dive in here, Lord God, I pray that your word would uh, do what it does best, and that is to uh, search the depth of our hearts, uh, break strongholds in our minds, um, expose things that hinder growth in Christ, uh, prompt repentance where needed, and give great grace and mercy as the gospel applies uh, to our soul, Lord God. And so I thank you for that, Father. I pray um, that as our, our brothers and sisters who are sick right now, think about Jade uh, taking care of Clay and not feeling well, I pray your healing upon her in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that you give her strength, especially uh, tomorrow's a, a big day with jumping back into work as well and um, give Will the grace to lead the family and and serve and um, and Lord, I just pray, Lord God, for all those who are traveling, give them travel mercies. Lord, I pray for a deep sense of stability uh, in the souls of us, your people, um, Father, that we might uh, be like the palm trees in LA. Um, and thinking about Miami and Florida facing all the hurricanes and the winds blowing everything off, and yet the palm trees are rooted. Their structure allows them to withstand the storms of life. And Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would root us this year. Lord, root us so that we could be a people that are helping to go out into the highways and the byways and making clear how the gospel graces us with stability through a relationship with you that changes everything. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give me the grace to make this your word clear. Give us hearts that are receptive uh, to your word. Lord, I just pray that you would bring us on one accord right now. Um, I just sense in some degree we're kind of scattered. And I pray, Lord God, that you would synchronize us with what your Holy Spirit desires to say to your church today. Father, make us a people that make much of you. We thank you and we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. New Year's resolutions. Y'all have made them yet? Has anybody made some resolutions yet? Some, some not. If you're like us, we're still reflecting on 2019 and trying to get through the the craziness of Christmas and two birthdays and <laughs> just it's almost like resolutions for us in some degree we start praying about them but we don't really have time to map them out until like mid-January and so if you're like us you're in good company it's all good um, but one thing that's interesting about resolutions is 
as we enter in, we're going to have new resolutions. Um, there is going to be newness before us. There's the promise of a new year. Um, and I think as I, as I want us to begin to think about the theme for this year, as I want us to think about the concept of resolutions, I want us to land and consider one phrase that I've been hearing a lot lately. This phrase of living your best life now. Y'all seen that on Instagram? Right? Here's the thing with the living your best life now. Uh, I've seen it, it comes on both believers and unbelievers posts, lives. It, it, here's, it's kind of like this. We take selfies of extravagant places. Not a bad thing. And then, but what, then we say, living your best life now. We aim to meet important people, go important places, buy important cars, start an important relationship with important people, and take important pictures of these important things so that we can caption what? Living my best life now. Y'all see it, right? So, so I think it's interesting, as we consider the new year, I want y'all to fill in what this phrase means to you. Living your best life now. How would you define and fill out and flesh out the phrase, living your best life now? What is that? What does it mean to live your best life now? Take a minute and think about that. If you want to write it down, think about it. What would you say, that's living my best life now? That would happen. This would happen. That is my best life. I want you all to take a minute and just think about that. Take a minute and think about that. What does it mean if you were to live your best life now? And be honest. The honest truth of what, of, of what you would want to do. Not, not just a super spiritual dynamic. I want the honesty of what, what, what you look at. Now as you think about that, I want you to ask the question as you prepare your resolutions. How does my understanding and definition of living my best life now inform your resolutions? Because your definition of what you imagine is your best life now is going to inform how you make your resolutions for 2020. Does that make sense? I want you to do that. I want you to go home and ask that question as you prepare or refine your resolutions. I need you to be honest before the Lord and one another, chop it up in life communities, do with different things. Um, parenthetically speaking, um, our, our, the second life communities of the month, uh, we're going to do vision boards together. And it's going to be sifting through this, right? Richie can show us how to do that, right? <laughs> so it's going to be sifting through this stuff. And in order to get ready, I need you to ask those questions. What is your image of your best life now? And how does that inform your resolutions? All right, got it? So I need us doing that. Did y'all going to remember that? This is not one of those like rhetorical things. I really need y'all to do that to get ready. Okay? Listen to me and submit to that, all right? I don't do that too often, but I'm not just throwing that out. Okay? I need, I need us to prepare for that. Um, and here, here's the thing about this. Um, you think about the resolutions. I, I remember at times, here's what will happen in this. Um, there have been many years when I have recently, I, I, I was looking at this. Lord, I would love to see by the end of the year this amount of money in our emergency fund. Okay? I, I, I'd like to see this amount in the end. And then when I come to the end of the year, it's not that. <laughs> right? Like, that, that amount of money is not there. Here's the interesting thing. The Lord provided everything we needed. But 
the mount that I was hoping would be there wasn't there. So I had resolved <coughs> to do what we could to get that money there. And at the end of the year, we couldn't do anything about the fact that it just wasn't there. But here's what's interesting. What that began to expose is an unrefined hope that God wanted to, to begin to get at. Because as I, as I do that, it's kind of like, what it, here's what it began to expose. What I was really saying when I said, Lord, if we could just have this amount of money in the account by the end of this year, here's what I was saying. If I could just have a little comfort this year. Lord, if, if I could just do it without trusting you this much, can you just give me a year where I could kind of take a break from the craziness of saying, I have to depend upon you that much? Right? Because a resolution, I had an unrefined hope that was rooted in saying, my best life now was just to fall back from some of the difficulties and the need to depend upon the Lord. Y'all been there? Unrefined hopes more so fuel our resolutions than we can ever imagine. And I think it's interesting is that um, the, some of our hopes this year, some of your resolutions this year, just like some of them in 2019, won't happen. I know that's not motivational. I know, hey, let's start the year and everything's going to happen and this is going to be the year of prosperity and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. Some of your hopes this year won't happen. Sit on that for a minute. Because it's needed, because here's the thing. God is passionate about refining your hope in the gospel. Anything, anything that will impede his work in your life to make you depend utterly on the work of the gospel and the hope of the gospel, he has no problem, not that hope. That's not going to happen. Israelites, when you left the, the, the Egypt, you, I'm going to give you manna, but eventually they got tired of manna and started going, wanted to go back to what they perceived to be the stake in Egypt, but they forgot what Egypt was like. And God is, God is saying, no, 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 I need to refine your hope in the gospel because that's what he's passionate about. And you're like, what is God passionate about? He's not always passionate about the things that we're passionate about. Sometimes our passions are more fueled by the flesh and a lack of trust than the living God and what he's doing to advance his kingdom and to root you in gospel hope. All right? So my first message of the year is some of your hopes won't happen because God is more passionate about his kingdom advancing in and through you than letting you live a comfortable life in your woundedness and in some unknown sin and brokenness being settled. Because he doesn't want his church to settle. He's shaking us up. Are you going to run? Are you going to jump on the roller coaster and say, God, I want everything you want for me? And that means I need you to help refine some of these hopes. And I think here's the thing. It's needed because I was thinking through this. And here's a day when we will sue for medical malpractice. But we will pay for spiritual malpractice. Did y'all catch that? Don't lose that. We will sue for medical malpractice. Why? 
Because anything that gets in the way of what I perceive to be the best life now, which is I, I need to have the best health all the time for the sake of having health. I need to get as much money as I can. I'm going to do whatever it takes. If you infringe upon what I perceive to be is going to be the best life, and the world is telling you this, health is salvation. We need to preach health, but health is not salvation. That's an outworking of wisdom, of stewardship, so we can't settle there. But when something, the reason we sue is because it's saying, how dare you come against what I think to be healthy. But here's the thing. We don't really get fussy and crazy and have an angst of godly ambition when someone is allowing us to remain as a spiritual malpracticing person. So what is our value? How would we define what our hope is and what God is calling us to? Do you see that connection? What we get up in angst about is key in showing and revealing what is your definition and what's your best life now. So when God begins, like he does, as we're going to see in, in, in the book of Colossae, when he begins to surface and get at things in your life, He's trying to disrupt to do some, a greater work in you. All right? Y'all ready? Strap your seatbelts on for this year. My prayer during worship is wake us up. <laughs> wake us up this year to what God has. And here's, here's the thing. Because God knows our tendencies. We jump into Colossians. God knows that our tendency is like the church in Colossae which is to let a whole lot of unfiltered hopes begin to convince us that that's going to change us. It's going to transform us. That's the key to bringing change, right? Whether for them, here's the thing, it was um, these unfiltered hopes in the book of, Coloss uh, of Colossians were coming the way of this young church plant to convince them that the answer to living their best life now was just conform to some external things. And here's what some of their external stuff. You ready? He says, look, whether it was ascetic practices, which is like, if I could just not eat for like a year, if I can fast more, maybe something will happen. Maybe God will love me more, right? If I could just uh, beat my body and, and, uh, and no, not participate in marriage, right? He says later on, it's, uh, it's craziness of saying, well, if you don't get married, you're more holy, right? Or if you get married, you're more complete, right? He's, he's trying to expose these external equations they say, if this, 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 then I'll be secure in God. Then God will love me. These are all unfiltered hopes, meaning, or unrefined hopes that say, if this will happen, then I'm good in life. And he's saying whether it's these ascetic practices to make you feel more acceptable to God, or if it's special vision of angels. Oh my gosh, I saw an angel. I had a dream. I'm super spiritual. I have this particular gift. Oh, I'm better than anybody else. Right? And, and that makes me feel like I'm somebody. It makes me feel significant. He says whether it's that, a special vision of angels, or if it's identifying with a particular genealogy or people or community, these were the unfiltered, unrefined hopes that the church would be tempted 
to mix for their best life and transformation. And here's what Paul is doing. Paul's laying out the book, the reality that these things can't change you. These things cannot produce the best life that God wants for you because your vision of the best life needs to be refined. And you need to know, even if you have that old, jacked up best life now, your soul and all the other stuff, these things might help you get there for a little bit, but they ain't going to keep you there. Because they were never intended to do that. Right? So, so he's drawing them in, and he's about to take them and us to a journey under the hood of your New Year resolutions to teach you what does it look like to develop a resolution that is rooted in the hope of the gospel. He says, he says here, let's get an oil change. You've done your resolutions. You've seen some that have been successful in the past. You've seen others that haven't. He says, let's look under the hood of it. What's going to drive your resolutions this year? What's going to frame how you deal with engaging resolutions this year? So come with me. Here's what he says. There's three things. He says, in order to be rooted in the hope of the gospel, and let me get at it, uh, there's three points. The first one, he says, you need to be honest with your alienation. Look what it says in verse 21, uh, chapter 1, verse 21. He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, which was expressed in your evil actions. Here's the thing. He knows their tendency to let unrefined hopes be the answer. So he lays out the reality of their former predicaments to remind them of the reality of the situation. He says, hold up. Where I need to start is I need to lay out to you the reality of your predicament that uh, you need to remember or else your preparation and resolutions will not be adequate. Because there, I, I need to show you there's some surgery that's needed, and you think it's a scratch and just needed a Band-Aid. He says, hold on. The first thing is, he says, I need to remind you of your alienation. That's what he says. He says, look, church in Colossae, you were once alienated. He had just talked about in verses 15 through 20 that Christ is the cosmic reconciler. He's bringing everything on thing, things in heaven or things on earth to be reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. Then he says, but he doesn't just keep a 30,000 foot view of him being the cosmic reconciler, but he's saying, but now I'm knocking on your heart. I'm coming to your block and I'm going to begin to remind you, church, that in order for you to live, re uh, resolve to be rooted in the hope of the gospel, you need to know that that hit your heart also. Everything that happened in rebellion to God in heaven and on earth, it also hit your heart. And he says, look, you were alienated. In other words, your predicament was alienation. That was your situation. It was alienation. In other words, he says, you didn't belong to God. While you were created in the image of God, you did not belong to him. Let me, let me make something plain here. Um, oftentimes we'll say, everybody created as a child of God. You heard that? False. It's not true. That is a notion based on, on John chapter 1. He says, he says, for all of those who believed in his name were, called, were given the right to become children of God. While we were all created in the image of God, we are not all children of God until Jesus gets a hold of us. Does that, make, does that make sense? See, because if I can just avoid my predicament and say I'm a child of God, 
I don't have to acknowledge the depth of my brokenness. Then I, then I solve my predicament with shallow, unrefined resolutions. Because my problem is not that bad. Just try harder to budget better. I'm not saying that's bad. That's good. Some of us need to. But if we're not seeing that our predicament was alienation, then we put a band-aid resolution on what God says is a deeper wound and problem. And so as we think about the concept of alienation, he says, you were separated from him and from one another to, so that you couldn't have relationship in a lasting and truly meaningful way. Here's another thing. Your predicament was alienation. This doesn't just happen before you knew Jesus. If you don't know God, you're alienated. If you have not placed your trust, trust in Jesus Christ, you're alienated from God. You're not his friend. But here's the other thing. Alienation, even after we trust Christ, still impacts our lives. And so we, we, we function out of alienation. And here's the thing. If we, we, what the band-aid you go to is going to be directly linked to the alienation you experienced growing up. Whether it's, were you alienated by your father physically or emotionally? Were you abused by a family member physically or emotionally? What, what, what was your upbringing life? Because he says, look, if you don't see the reality of how horrible what you went through was and what your predicament was, you will settle for the same type of band-aid that you were taught growing up to cope with. Do you see that? When, when God begins to show the depth of your alienation, when your hopes aren't met for a particular year, where do you run? How do you respond? That right there, don't ignore that. Because that is going to be key to say, that's an unrefined hope in my life. Make sense? How you respond in the running is an unrefined hope that won't solve the depth of your alienation. Okay? He doesn't say your predicament was alienation, but watch this. He says your mentality was hostility. You, everything you did was governed by hostility. If you lived in alienation for so long, it defines the way you respond to things, doesn't it? All right, if you, the whole purpose of solitary confinement is what? If I could get someone out of community, it will drive them crazy. It'll punish them. Because punishment is isolation. Isn't it interesting that when our mentality is so alienated, when someone rubs me wrong, when something difficult happens, when it feels like God lets me down in an unrefined hope, what do we do? We go to alienation. We go to solitary confinement. Why do we do that? Because if you say, well, let me solve my pain, and okay, wait, you're, selling, you're telling me some things that I don't like, and I want to live my best. Especially in our city, i got to calm down on that. Especially in our city. People come out here to do what they want. 
And God meets with saying, if you know me, I got something so much better. And we're wrestling with God. No, God, no, God. That's not why I came out to L.A. That's not why I grew up in L.A. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And what happens before we know it? Like, God is like, I'm trying to get your attention. We're like, nope, I'm going to go into alienation. Really? That's the thing I'm trying to show you you need to deal with. And you run to the same doggone brokenness. It's like this. Let me read this for y'all. Y'all should know this. This is part of being aware of the running thing. How are you running? What alienation? What are you running to for solitary confinement? Here's what he says. Um, he says in uh, uh, Proverbs 18, one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. Did you catch that? When you live in alienation, you pursue selfish desires. Why? It's kind of like this. See, this is what sin does. This is what alienation does. You would be willing, instead of coming to healthy community when you're hurting and broken, and when God doesn't do the things that you're hoping him to do, you would rather punish yourself. See, solitary confinement in prison is not a reward. It's a punishment. Alienation is a result of sin and brokenness. It's not an answer to what, it's not an answer to help you. It is brokenness. Why the heck do we run to alienation when God is saying, I got something better? And so he says, your mentality was hostility. It governed the way that you made decisions. In other words, you were so shaped by the patterns of your unfiltered hopes, as we're talking about, the hopes of the world, that let you down over and over. And your sin and woundedness prompted you to respond in a way that was hostile towards God and others. You ever been mad at God when he didn't bring that hope to pass? Am I the only one? Me and God, the way I'm talking to you, this is how we have our relationship. Can I free you up a little bit? Psalms are full of laments because we navigate a broken world with the hope of the gospel moment by moment every day. And so there's a sense about we have, there's a woundedness. And so here's the thing. It, you respond in a ways that was hostile towards God. And it's not just a one and done. This is like what's happening is if we stay in alienation, we start festering and cultivating. Or we start cultivating the mindset that God is holding back to me. And the enemy is giving you ammunition. Here's a sword. Keep fighting against God. Here's a shield to be used against him. Here's a bubble to put yourself in away from God's people. Because what he's, what he's trying to do, he's trying to keep you in an area of alienation when God doesn't do what you want him to do, to keep thinking this is who God is. That's what Satan does all the time. All the time. So when you're tempted to go there, you have to rebuke the enemy in Jesus' mighty name, and you've got to call someone on the phone and be like, I'm frustrated because I was really hoping this would happen. And it didn't. And I really want to go into alienation. But I don't because the Spirit of God is kind of beckoning me to get in community. Stop running. Stop using unbiblical excuses to say, I just need a little space instead of dealing with some doggone conflict. Stop running. This is where, so Rez, he's, saying, he's saying, look, your mentality was hostility. And so he says, even if you look good on the outside, he says, your agenda was hostile. 
You can look good on the outside, going to work, going to life community, coming to Sunday gatherings. You can look good going to eat at people's houses, going to baby showers, going, go out and eat with each other and enjoy. You can look good on the outside, but here's the thing. Your agenda can be hostile. Your agenda, it, it, it could be about sabotaging relationships and anything that is from the Lord. Why? Because you can't stand the fact that God didn't do what you were asking him to do. And so anybody, instead of us beginning to celebrate when God is doing something to other people's lives, and mind you, when we say it's grieve with those who grieve and celebrate with those who celebrate, we need to do both of those. But sometimes we need to also have a culture like the disciples and the apostles. When they went through persecution, they were celebrating. That don't make sense. But they're celebrating. We need to have a culture that is not like we grieve with those who grieve. But sometimes when God doesn't do something you hope him to do, we need to be celebrating afterwards. Well, don't, don't celebrate. They're ready. Be sensitive towards one another, right? But what I'm saying is there, there's something about that, right, that we need to together be aware of saying, you know what, Lord? I'm grieving the fact that this is what happened. But I'm going to step in by faith. Because Romans 6 says this. Let me help you with this. this uh, Romans 6 says, look, the way that you grow in sanctification is you take your, the members of your body, which are now free to serve Jesus through the gospel, and now he says, present them as instruments of righteousness leading to sanctification. Sometimes it's one step towards obedience when you don't feel like it. And when you take that step, when you do what Jesus calls you to do, you're participating in your growth. Why? Because you're also learning to root your hope in the gospel. Not just, did this happen, therefore I'm going to be okay. Jesus, there is a hope that the gospel gives, a peace the gospel gives. When you don't do what I want you to do, that gives me the grace to take a step forward. And as I do that, you start to work in my soul. You start to grow me. Right? This, this is what God is. He's trying to get to me. He says, he says remember, Hostility was your mentality. Be, beware of it. And then he says, but it was expressed in your present actions. Right? So he says, your actions put on display the reality predicament. We've talked about where you go in alienation. Put on display your reality of how broken you are. And this is what he says. He says, so like, if, if we don't see an action and what we're doing, for what it is as something that's rooted in alienation and then it's expressed in evil actions and brokenness, whether it's subtle, covert, overt, whatever it is. He says, if we don't see it for what it is, then we will settle for unrefined hopes to be the solution. We keep putting those band-aids on. It's something like this. If you struggle with patience, we might say, just try harder, love more. Those are not bad things. But if you struggle with insecurity, we might say, love yourself more. Take more selfies, get a better job, get a promotion, buy new clothes. You see that? The reality is, is if you're insecure, it's a deeper alienation issue. It's something deeper than just a superficial solution. Here's another one to get real. If you struggle with pornography or sexual urges, we might say, stop looking, which is a key part of it. Okay? Get a better job, or I'm sorry, get into a relationship. Here's one. Get married so that you can have sex and it'll solve it all. 
and you're quiet. Does that make sense? Those are examples of saying there's a deeper thing going on, but if I could just resolve to do any of these, that will solve my problem. God say, no, it's not. That's part of it. But your predicament is alienation. In other words, watch this. Here's something. Author Edith Wharton writes of Henry James' ill health due to his unfortunate adherence to a dangerous diet program called Fletcherizing. Did y'all ever hear that before? I'd never heard that before. Fletcherizing. It's a trip. Watch this. It's named after a misguided inventor. This guy, Horace Fletcher, was one of the earliest health food enthusiasts of the 20th century. Watch what the Fletcherizing is. The central idea behind the diet was simplicity itself. Chew your food 100 times, then spit it out. This way you get the nutrients, but not the bulk. Wharton writes of the diet's effect on James. The system resulted in intestinal atrophy, meaning his intestines shrunk that they couldn't do anything. Here's what else happened. And when the doctor at last persuaded him to return to a normal way of eating, he could no longer digest his food. And his nervous system had been undermined by years of malnutrition. Here's the thing. Here's a guy. He, he gets a potential. He's like, I need to lose weight. I've got to get a diet. i got to get healthier. He finds out about fletcherizing, and he says, this is going to be the quick fix. It doesn't require any exercise. It doesn't require any work. It doesn't require anything. All it is, is this is what I do. I chew, and then I spit out. Here's the thing. This malpractice led to his demise and destruction. And I think they, these things, these unrefined hopes that promise to solve your problem, they, they give and say, this will be it. This will solve it. Here's the thing. They, they, they come off as potential to change us and produce our understanding of the best life. But they end up making things worse and destroying us over and over again. They just make these things worse. The things we run to, we need to be aware because here's the thing. This is why many of your hopes won't come to pass because God wants your hope to be in something that can actually produce change and transformation for his best life for you. Not your best life now, the way you define it. But God is like, I'm trying to produce in you my best life for you because my best life for you is going to result in transformation in a changed city. Sit on that for a minute. God is going after us. So for many of us, we've tried so hard to see change, feel accepted and significant, yet only to be met with disappointment. Then what happens, we revert to our coping mechanisms to ease the pain because this is what we have been convinced will help us. But then we realize it never lasts long. The way we experienced our family community deal with these areas, and they, we end up, as we said, we deal with them the same, same way. And God is calling. He says, look, the reason these don't work is because they can't go to the depth of alienation. Your refined hope that can change you, it must dive into the depth of our sinfulness and the width of our woundedness. Did you catch that? What you begin to see, a refined hope that you need to change us and put us where God wants has to deal with the depth of sin. Does your resolution de deal with the depth of sin of alienation in your life? Does it address, is it good news for the width of your woundedness? Or is the sin and woundedness too deep, too scary, too dangerous 
to let God take you there. Remember his passion. It's not to let you stay in coping mechanisms because that ain't going to change you or our city. His passion is to get you aligned with the hope that it can actually deal with those areas. Here's the good news about this. In order to be rooted in the hope of the gospel, not only do we need to be aware of our alienation and be honest with our alienation. He says, but here's how you can and why you can be honest with your alienation. Look at verse 22. He says, those things, summarize, those unrefined hopes will not let you go there because it's too hard. And you know a Band-Aid can't solve a kidney transplant. You need something that will take you there. And this is what Paul tells them. Paul says, look, now that I'm trying to remind you that you were alienated, he says, look, you need to realize your reconciliation. Go to verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, but now he has reconciled you by his physical death, by his physical body through his death. To present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Look what he says. But now. Here's the good news about this. The but is a contrast that the previous unrefined hopes that let you down over and over and over again can be superseded by another hope that he is going to introduce and remind them to rest in. Did you catch that? The but God, or but now, gives you hope. They may have let you down, but don't go back to the alienation because God has something he can do now. Can you now come to God? Can you now begin to realize that there is a but now at the end of your discouragement from unrefined hopes? Amen? Think about this. But now. Some of y'all need to sit in the butt now for the first six months of this year. Some of y'all did a, have gone through so much discouragement, and God is doing so much deep work in your soul that you are tempted to run in discouragements and back to alienation. But can I encourage you that there is a butt now in your story? If you're in the gospel, there's a butt now. Is that good news? Y'all are quiet. Either you're like thinking about this. Or some, there is a but now in your story. Yeah, that's an amen. Goodness gracious. And here's the thing. But now, he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you. Look what he says. Notice, it says that your unrefined hopes didn't reconcile you. Notice that they only left you in alienation. But the but now, God has reconciled you. God has done what you finally begin to realize the old ways couldn't do to give you security, to give you hope, to give you well-being, to give you peace. God has done what you couldn't imagine. Here's what he says. Watch. He says, he has reconciled you. How has he done this? How has he Taking our alienation, when we put ourselves out, when sin put us out, when woundedness of being sinned against made us live in shame, guilt, and fear that no one would accept us. 
No one would accept that area of my life, so let me cover it up. No one would do that, so let me sit in the corner and put on a good face and do the nice Christian duty and I'll just do the bare minimum just to get by. Why? Because if I just get by, at least maybe God will keep in track of me. Maybe he'll love me just a little bit more so I can get by in my life. And God is saying, how does he do this? How does he take, how does he take us in that place and say, now you're family? Warts and all. Skeletons in your closet and all. Brokenness and all. Sin and all. Abuse and all. Brokenness and all. And I'm going, God does something where he says, but now he has reconciled you. That's family language. What all these other things could not do, when God reconciled his people to be his children, not just his image bearers, but his children who could properly reflect his image on planet earth to one another. He, when he puts us where he is in position with him, there's a security that you can't match. You stop trying to prove yourself. You stop trying to run. And you rest. Are you resting in reconciliation today? Is there a peace that God can birth in your soul because the but now can hit up your block, even your block. Even your block. It's realizing, I need that. And then he says, that's a nice idea, but how does he do this? How does he reconcile such brokenness? How does he do it different than the world that can't go to the alienation? How do I know God will still love me if I told this deep, dark secret? How do I know that? Why? Because watch this. Here's how he reconciled us by his physical body through his death. Right? The thing is, is, is in Christ's pre-incarnate deity, Jesus existed all time. He was never created. But what he did is in the incarnation, he takes on flesh. The, the, the pre-incarnate Christ, the eternal son of God, took on an additional nature, flesh. And he dwelt among us. See, here's a good thing about that. He identified with humanity because in order to go to the depth of brokenness, you got to be willing to go there and have a solution for it. The reason your unfiltered resolves can't go there because they don't have a solution. God in reconciling has had a solution. He went to the depth of taking on a physical body to live the life we could never live, to die a gruesome death on in, in, in his body to resurrect on the third day so that when Jesus comes and knocks on your door, he doesn't say, get your life together, then come to me. He says, you see all that woundedness and that sin? I died for that. I didn't ignore that. You don't have to fake the funk with Jesus this year. You don't have to fake the funk with the body of Christ. You need to come real. You need to keep it 100. And, right? You need to keep it real. And as you keep it real, as you come to him, he said, I got that. I didn't ignore that. The reason I died physically on the cross is to deal with the depth of your alienation. In other words, here's the thing you've got to grasp. The best way I can make sense of this is in the Old Testament, God set up the sacrificial system to deal with issues of sin, right? One of the things that would happen is a priest would take a, a, a pure uh, uh, animal 
and this animal would come before and, and, and they would lay their hand on the forehead of the animal. As they laid their hand on the physical forehead of the animal, the sin would be transferred from the person to the animal. Did you catch that? Thereby acquitting that person and forgiving them temporarily. Now, did God just set up like some mystical thing to say, wow, that's a great sacrificial system? No, what he was doing was setting up to point to something else. He was setting up the fact to get us to understand that in order to deal with the depth of our sin and alienation and our woundedness, the Son of God would take on flesh and he would, on that cross, the sin that we deserved would physically be transferred to him. Oh my gosh, did you see that? This is why he had to come physically. You see, the church of Colossae said, eh, I don't know, the way to know God is just some special knowledge. Let me align with the genealogy. Let me say I belong to this tribe. Let me say I'm this. I belong to these people. And that will somehow give me, he says, no, 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 that don't deal with it. He says he had to come physically in the flesh, and that's how he took your sin and gave you a righteousness that you did not deserve, that I didn't deserve. Jesus deserved it. He says, so if he can go into the depth of your brokenness, when he surfaces, how your unrefined hopes, when they don't come forward and you're frustrated, recognize the alienation and let the physical death of Jesus remind you he can handle the depth of your brokenness. But can you trust him with that? Is, is the refined hope of that he's enough to deal with that? Church, do you believe that? That Jesus is enough? To do that, it's important to know that the founder of hope came in physical form that we might not be detached from the reality of our predicament. Here's what he does. This kind of hope deals with this, and here's what it does. When we were living in shame and, and, and accusation and, and hurt and brokenness and alienation and solitary confinement, here's what he says. Look what the gospel does. He says, this hope that took on flesh... He says, this hope presents us holy. This hope, when you didn't deserve it, sets you apart. This hope sets you apart and says you're different now. You belong to God. You're in him. You rest in him. But also, here's the thing, it presents you faultless. For all the mess you've done, where you were at fault, where you don't have to defend yourself. He says, look, you don't have to defend yourself, but you can let Christ be your justification your sanctification. You can let him be the one to deal with your alienation. You don't have to respond out of alienation this year. You can learn to let Jesus find the hope that he says, oh yeah, I did mess up. I did sin. I don't have to run. Just be honest with it and let Jesus bring healing. Oh yeah, that, I, I've been dealing with woundedness and I haven't told anybody I've been abused. I haven't told anybody I've struggled with mental health. I haven't told anybody that this is what I do in the dark when no one's looking. I haven't told anybody this stuff. And God is saying the physical death was enough for you. Can you come clean this year? And sometimes when he doesn't do things you want him to do, he did it deliberately because he's like, now's the time. When he doesn't do something this year that you really want him to, ask him the question, is there an area, Lord, that you want me to, that you're trying to 
get me to hope in the gospel that you're enough for me. And he says, it also presents you blameless. Shame. He says, man, when you're in Jesus, you don't have to live in shame. Why? Because you're presented blameless. You're forgiven. You're my child. You hear the father saying, you're my son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Hope is there in Christ's reconciliation. The hope for forgiveness, peace, transformation, acceptance is in Christ. That's what the rooted hope produces in you as God's people. You're accepted not because you did something. You're accepted not because you can stay in your coping mechanism well. You're accepted when you realize how broken you've been. And you're accepted because Jesus did that for you and me. He did it. So he says you need to be aware of your reconciliation. Rest, people of God, in the reconciliation that is in God, that is in Christ. And then he says, watch this, but you need to be aware of your tendency to hijack the gospel. For 23, as we wrap up on 23, look what it says. He says, I want you to rest this reconciliation. But then he says, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You see, here's our tendency. This is not saying you can lose your salvation. That's not what this is saying. If you're in Christ, you are in Christ. But your in Christ is evidenced by a continually increasing awareness that the gospel is not just good news you, when the, the moment you trust Jesus. The gospel is good news as a believer when you stop hiding. The gospel is good news when you come clean. The gospel is good news when you call sin, sin. The gospel is good news when you say, I've been wounded. That's when the gospel becomes good news. And he says, your tendency is to say, I got it from here, Lord. Let me create my own unrefined ho hopes of New Year's resolutions. And he says, no, stop it. He says, if you don't, shift away from that hope. Because here's the thing. This whole notion that says, Christianity and the gospel is all about a getting to heaven free ticket and then I can live my life however I want to. That ain't the gospel, y'all. And we're going to hit that hard next week with Titus 2. The gospel changes us. I think the problem is many of us have not believed the gospel. I think at times what we've done is we have said, I go to church and I'm still working hard to make myself right with God. That ain't the gospel. The gospel is, I'm alienated, I've been hostile in my mentality, and I, it was seen in my actions, and my actions now are not rooted in the hope that the gospel brings forgiveness. The gospel gives me hope as I walk with Jesus, but I've let something else creep in. And if that becomes the indefinite creep that then directs the cadence of your life indefinitely, he says, are you in Jesus? Did y'all get that? Are you in Jesus? And so that's what he's saying. He's saying you don't lose your salvation. He's saying beware of hijacking the gospel. Beware of the, the mentality that says I'm going to pick and choose the parts of the word and the parts of the gospel and then conform them to my 
agenda. That's hijacking the gospel. That's not, and, and, and we do that all the time. The good thing about believers, when God doesn't do something and you start feeling it, we don't have to run from it. We don't have to run to alienation. We can confess it. We can bring it before the Lord. That's why gospel is such good news. If you haven't believed the gospel, you keep running indefinitely until you realize that the only way to deal with your brokenness and pain is saying, Jesus, I, did, I couldn't do it. I'm turning to you. And I am now going to surrender my life wholly to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And this is my hope. The gospel, when we baptize people, it's saying, what you're saying is saying, I forsake all other hopes. And I place my hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Because everything he did was the only thing that was enough to deal with my insecurity. To deal with my deeper yearning say, I want to be accepted. And God's like, if you're in the gospel, you are. You're whole. You don't have to prove yourself anything. You just keep hoping in that doggone gospel. And as it becomes good news for you, you begin to enjoy the richness of letting God work resolutions in your soul. He, he begins to work in you and saying, hey, remember, remember that area of alienation you used to run to? That's an area I want you to have a resolve in. Remember those times that you normally run to this when I didn't do this? I want you to pinpoint that and begin to say, what does it look like to repent and let me heal that area? Well, what does it look like for you when that time comes up to remember the truth of my word? What does it look like to rest in the gospel today? This is our cadence call for 2020. I'm believing that God desires the church to be shaken up until we develop resolve that realizes our unfiltered, unrefined hopes will not solve the depth of your hurt and brokenness. It cannot take you there. But he's passionate about taking you there. But the only way he's going to take you there is if you remember what he did in the gospel to reconcile you so you function in the gospel out of acceptance. You don't have to hide. Let him develop a resolve for us to be rooted in the hope of the gospel this year. Everything we lay out this year, and I'm going to talk through this vision Sunday next Sunday as people are jumping back in. Every Sunday or every series is going to be rooted in something. Rooted in gospel freedom. Rooted in gospel leadership. Rooted in, and the list goes on, rooted in deconstruction to be constructed. I'm believing that God is going to uproot some things so he can root us to be a people that can be like the palm trees. A people that, like in Pilgrim's Progress, the movie, we just saw that with the Hunjas, right? And the thing is, is as, as I wrap up with this story, it, it's um, as God does this, we will begin to realize, like this character Christian did, when he was living in the domain of darkness and didn't know the depth of it, he began to have a weightiness once he got a glimpse of what the city to come is. He says, wait, there's freedom, there's forgiveness there, there's joy there, there's hope there, there's love there, there's you get new garments for your filthiness and dirtiness because it was dirty where they were. And he started saying, oh my gosh, but then as he began to see that, he began to realize a weightiness that came from living where he was. But it was a burden that says, I can't not go what I've seen. 
And as he journeys, he has people telling him, don't go. Don't go. Not only does he have family saying don't go, he has the demonic realm coming after him to throw darts all the time and say, don't go. Don't go out of the domain of darkness. Don't experience that. Don't journey on that road to experience a hope that you cannot shake. That will do. Everybody's saying don't go to the point when he's, he's going and one of his coworkers comes up, right? And, and he, his coworker comes up and he comes up with a friend named Pliable. Right, and as these two, as these two, they they enter in. Pliable is hearing the good news of saying, "Oh my gosh, you're going to a place that has forgiveness, joy, peace, new garments. You're going there." And then he looks at the other worker, and the other works, "Come on, Pliable, he's not listening to us. Let's go back, right? Let's report to his, his wife and his family, and let's report to all the people that he's leaving and all this kind of stuff, right?" And Pliable says, "Hold up, but did you hear what he said? He said, did you hear where he's going?" And so Pliable ends up starting the journey with Christian. Christian, through seeing a glimpse of the city, realizing brokenness, is now on a journey that is about to get hard. But here's the thing. As they're walking with the hope of, oh, my gosh, joy, freedom, peace, forgiveness, hope, healing, a new garment for, for dirty, for shame, all this kind of stuff. They're walking, and, and in the very beginning of the journey, they fall into this river of what looks like mud. And it's the river of discouragement and as they're both in there swimming and 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 pliable finally it's like what are we doing pliable finally gets out of the river while christian is still struggling over the mud and and come to find out that pliable begins to say get off oh is this what this journey is about all this mud and craziness like no man I didn't come here, and he starts walking, turning around and walking back to the domain of darkness. And he says, oh, peace, love, joy. Man, that's not what that is. I didn't sign up for that. And so he turns around and doesn't continue the journey. And here's the thing, what we find out that place is, that place traps a lot of people. And he let fears, discouragement, anxiety get the best of him. And he says, many people turn around and don't get past this point. Why? Because here's what Pliable did. Pliable hijacked the gospel. Pliable liked good things about the gospel. You mean forgiveness? I don't have to be in this place. But Pliable interpreted the journey based on what he wanted it to be. And when he began to realize to be rooted in the hope in the journey is to go through the journey of endurance... When God begins to increase the weightiness, and then at the end you begin to experience a hope that you never knew. And as Christian is walking this mountain, he's, the bag is so heavy, and he's enduring. And God, this is hard. I wasn't expecting this. But what happens is that the bag begins to fall off. And you see it fall down the mountain he's climbing and it deliberately falls into a grave and stays in the grave. He's all afraid. I've never experienced. Yeah, family, as we think about being rude in the hope of the gospel, when you want to run, don't run. You keep going in endurance because this year I am believing that God is going to root you so much in me and our community so much more in the clarity of the gospel hope that there will be such joy that you may have never experienced in your life. 
there would be joy in our community that many have seen, but maybe like us, we have discouragements and fears of going there. And God is saying, will you let me take you there? Because I know how to deal with 